listening to the First Community Podcast, where we talk about life and faith with our First Baptist family. I'm April Adams. I'm Caroline Roberts. And today, we're going to talk about missions. And so there's there's all kinds of types of missions. What are some of the images that might come to a person's mind when they talk about missions or think about that? When I think of missions, I think of what I used to think about as a kid growing up in the church, hearing about missionaries who gave up everything and moved across the country or moved across the world to a country that people may not have ever heard of to live and work and really just love on people. Not really with any, you know, purpose associated with it, just this idea of someone like living in a place that's not like Columbia, South Carolina, (laughs) living where they have to give up a lot and sacrifice Mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah, you just have to sell all your possessions and go run from cannibals and (laughs) stuff like that. (laughs) Imagine a lot of, yeah, a lot of, I guess, living well, well below your means. Mm -hmm. And there's a real exotic feel. I can remember missionaries coming in and bringing in foreign objects and things that... We would get from the mission field. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> of course, now with the internet, you can order all of that online. You really can. It's great. <laughs> you really can. <laughs> so it makes it harder for missionaries to show off their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> true. But yeah. I, you know, I kind of started to think about missions in a different way. Um, the only place I've served as a, uh, quote-unquote missionary has been Kansas Mm. and so you know the exotic United States of the Midwest Midwest (laughs) is where I went and I hated it some tumbleweeds (laughs) and some tornadoes there were tornadoes oh gosh I'm so sorry it was terrifying (laughs) that is scary tornadoes and wheat and a lot of corn Mm. but yeah you think of Nebraska as being the corn place, but Kansas, Kansas. yeah, there. They had corn. Yeah. <laughs> and I did media missions for that, so you also don't think about people going and shooting video and photos and stuff like that, or at least you used yeah. to not by then. That was 2003. I think of some so. of the great missionaries like Lottie Moon or the Elliots or, mm-hmm. you know, just to name some, like there's tons of ancient ancient Ancient. (laughs) historical figures (laughs) that we look to now as you know a a baptist church as the you know missionaries as the perfect missionary i guess Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm reading a book right now about the first female missionary doctor in india her name was dr ida scudder Mm -hmm. and she was a missionary a missionary (laughs) in India for her entire life. She grew up there. Her father was a doctor in India, and then she decided to go to medical school in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and ended up opening a hospital in Valor in in India. And very fascinating biography, but, you know, most of what I'm reading is not about her sharing of the gospel. It's just her humanitarian efforts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of People our age, or at least my age now, look to missions and try to see it one-on-one with humanitarian efforts and um, providing help and assistance to needy people in needy places. And I think that is well-intentioned, but missions is, it's kind of lost its, I guess, 
real meaning mm-hmm. because we've kind of diluted it for so long. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of that has been what's gotten the most attention mm. too because we want what's what seems uh, exotic <laughs> and new and different. Adventurous. And, yeah, the adventurous <laughs> part of it. Um, but missions can mean a whole lot of things and we can live on mission where we are Mm -hmm. and we can live on mission with our work it's not about giving up your job or your talents and things like that to go somewhere else I mean sometimes it is but most of us are called to use what God's given us right now yeah the great commission wasn't you know leave everything you have and go move to Africa and live among the natives i mean it could be that the great commission was go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and that could be you know you could be going to a place like like i described but you could also be going to your neighbor's house or going to your workplace and Mm -hmm. and i think we've kind of separated missionary from just a believer in general like they're two separate types of people mm-hmm. but types of followers of Jesus but really they're one and the same it just it's a matter of where you're going where you're sharing the gospel it, it could be in your home or your workplace or it could be in a in a country that no one knows how to pronounce mm-hmm. so yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah and, and i think sometimes it's is the fact that we've created so many words for it as well mm-hmm. because your your missionary goes over there but where you are, you're you're doing evangelism if you do it here, or you're yeah, out, yeah. Or it's, it's outreach if it's local, ministry or, <laughs> outreach or international missions, <laughs> yeah. and we have domestic know. missions and all that. But really, what we're called to do is share the love of Jesus Christ with whoever we encounter. Yes, and using the gifts and the talents that the Holy Spirit has provided. As believers, yeah. Yeah, and so that's why I wanted to talk to you about your trip to Ghana, but you did not technically go on a mission trip. Mm-mm. Yeah, I've never actually been on a mission trip, quote unquote, in my entire life. April, how could like? I think that's so surprising sometimes. But I've never been on a mission trip. I mm-hmm. even as a student, I never went on an international mission trip where I, like, helped build a house. Yeah. <laughs> Never, ever did that. I always went to summer camps, and mm-hmm. I would do a lot of service projects and community service through school or through church events where the main focus really was to just serve and to mm-hmm. just love people. Um, and when I worked at a summer camp um, for a few years during college, I got my first experience doing inner city missions and it was like running sports camps for Mm -hmm. kids who live in the middle of Atlanta and really all we really did there was run sports camps but I ended up getting to have conversations with kids I mean fifth graders about Jesus and who Jesus was and we got to have bible studies every day and and just seeing how that isn't something that has to be I guess there's not a time or a place for missions. And I think a lot of times we we try to put a program around missions and we try to put 
put these boundaries around okay well this one week out of the summer is when I'll be doing missions Mm -hmm. like no if you're a believer your life is a mission because of the great commission just like it says in Matthew chapter 28 and I got an opportunity to just go to Ghana in Africa West Africa and it was this opportunity that I never really expected to have being in pharmacy school I really only looked at um, experiences within the state of South Carolina and I had kind of just a desire placed on my heart a couple years ago that maybe when I finished pharmacy school I may not end up in Columbia I may end up somewhere new somewhere different and am I ready or am I prepared to leave the comforts of everything that's here that I've grown up around and thinking about that the Lord kind of started putting different places on my heart and um, one one thing he he definitely did was open my eyes to just the idea of of working in a developing country maybe for a couple years maybe Mm -hmm. for a few months who knows there's a lot of organizations out there that run um, programs for healthcare professionals to provide care to people in need in countries that don't have access to certain resources Um, like Doctors Without Borders and One World Health used to be Palmetto Medical Initiative and a bunch of others. I mean, there's tons of them. Um, This one particular organization was based out of the UK and it it was more of a humanitarian organization. So I had an opportunity and I somehow was able to get the funds for it. Praise the Lord. I mean, he literally provided everything for this trip. And I ended up spending three weeks in a coast coastal city in Ghana by myself with Belgian and UK students who were studying nursing and medicine. And I worked in a hospital as volunteer. Um, it was more of a study opportunity. So I was in a hospital with a supervisor, per se, and did a ton of things. I mean, things that I never would have had the opportunity to do in the States. But the medical aspect of it aside, my whole purpose in going was because I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be around people that I've never met before that are a lot different than me and have to, I guess, form community. And, Mm -hmm. And as a believer, you know, it's hard to be in true community unless you're surrounded by other believers. And I was not surrounded by other believers. Mm-hmm. And so the best part of the trip was just how almost immediately conversations started to be had about what I believed in. Yeah. If I did believe in anything. And the relationships I got to build with some of these people who didn't speak very good English, who were in a country where they also didn't speak very good English. So <laughs> we're all speaking, you know, in different languages and second languages. and But we're, we're having real conversations about just life. Yeah. And things, the same conversation I had with this medical student from Belgium, I could have had with a coworker. And mm-hmm. I think that was the coolest thing about the experience was just that a life on mission is just that. It's, it's being able to... Um, 
see the overflow of the Spirit working in your life and the love of Christ in your life, seeing that overflow literally just spill out onto the people around you, whether the people it's the people around you at work or the people around you at home or the people around you in your neighborhood or the people around you in a different country where you happen to be for a few months. I mean, it doesn't have to be limited to a planned or scheduled event. It's literally just you have been changed by the grace of God And that change is so transforming that other people can see it in you, but also you want to share it with other people. And I think I, I guess I, I felt like I became stronger, I guess, in, in my ability to just talk to people about the Lord, because I was put in some very weird situations that I didn't really know how to respond to some questions, but, you know, by the grace of God, he provided an answer and he provided direction and he provided peace to answer questions. And I, I got to see hearts be open to the gospel in people who were previously very hard to who Jesus was. And Mm -hmm. I think it was just such an encouragement to me having that experience, even though I could have had that experience and I have had that experience here in Colombia. It's interesting going all the way to Ghana that mm-hmm. I was able to just have that experience to show me that I could really just do this anywhere. Well, and I think when people, the, the good part about traveling and going somewhere new is whenever you wind up somewhere new, you tend to be open mm-hmm. to new experiences. So you're with other people that are also thrown into a different situation. So. Mm-hmm. They respond a little bit differently yeah. than they might in their and they can't go anywhere because yeah. <laughs> we're literally in stuck in this you. house for three weeks together, or we're stuck Bonding. on this taxi ride for four hours. <laughs> you literally can't go anywhere. <laughs> so okay, so this trip, this also counted for your schooling, right? No, I did not. No, it it didn't. was purely okay. voluntary, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks good but, on a resume, right? But yeah. <laughs> very much worth it. Very much worth it. Okay. And so, but it's it's interesting too that you went to Africa, but most of the people that you've ministered to, uh, as far as the gospel is concerned, were Europeans. Right? The yeah. the peers I was with, the other mm-hmm. students that I was on the trip with, because mm-hmm. the organization was not affiliated with any faith. It was mm-hmm. just literally for medical students. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought that was the the funniest, most ironic thing. I got to have conversations with plenty of the um, locals about their faith, but over there, um, it's their faith is very emotional, and they they know who God is, and they know who Jesus is, and they mm-hmm. have access to Scripture, and they know the gospel. But um, there is a lot of prosperity gospel kind of interwoven mm-hmm. into what they believe, and that was kind of the weirdest thing was having conversations about the love of Christ, but also their their view of who Jesus was is like tainted by this idea that, you know, they're going to receive material goods if they just do a certain amount of good or they, yeah. and, and it, it's so hard to explain to someone that that's not true, you know? Yeah. But then on the other hand, you have the European students who you were with who um, grew up in a Catholic church and had been 
you know, been really just burned by the rules and regulations associated with believing in Jesus. I mean, their parents, a lot of their parents were Catholic and put them in Catholic private schools. And they were basically told, you know, if you do this, you know, you're going to hell or, and it just was a very legalistic type of fundamental Mm -hmm. faith system. And to them, it's like, well, that's not appealing at all. Yeah. And there was no, there was no love. Mm -hmm. There was no really there's not any grace. It was yeah. really just a rule. Yeah, just rules. Whatever the Pope said is like mm-hmm. what we're going to do. And and so to them, they just turned off, you know, turned their minds away from any idea of and any desire to be, you know, in belief of anything because they just figured, well, if, if this isn't going to work or if, if I don't agree with this, then I'm just not going to believe in anything. And so very different sides of spectrum of belief Mm-hmm. that I had never really experienced or encountered in such a large amount here in the States. Yeah. So, and what I think too, um, I've heard from a lot of peers, even in the States, a lot of times we encounter other um, other people who may say that they believe in Jesus and know who Jesus is, but their life doesn't reflect one that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think that in it of itself is the hardest mission field mm-hmm. out there is oh, yeah. people who grew up in a church believing that they were saved, but who never actually put their faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is something when I came back to the States, I think I was more burdened with oh, yeah. um, than I had ever been before. And that's something that's, you know, here it's in our mm-hmm. it's in our neighborhood, Very prevalent. in our churches. Yeah, we've grown up in the culture. Yeah. And- it's hard to tell somebody who thinks they're a Christian. You might not be a Christian. Yeah. So when you think of missions, it's like it's almost easier to go somewhere, like you said, to go somewhere Mm -hmm. where it's completely different than what you're used to because it's it's almost like people are more receptive Mm -hmm. because it's something new. It's something they've never heard before. Yeah. Um, It's almost harder to have conversations with people who have heard it their whole life Mm -hmm. and who still have not responded or haven't been open to Mm -hmm. responding. Yeah. Or they're convinced because they went through a ceremony or something Mm -hmm. that's got them covered. Baptism or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, confirmation. And, yeah, I think something I heard Dr. Rick Milne say as a student was, you know, this idea of making of not having an occupation, but having a vocation and making Mm -hmm. whatever you do, because it even, you know, Paul even writes this, whatever you do, do for the Lord, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do. And I think we sometimes make that, it seems easier in our minds because it's, it's like, oh, if, well, if I just do these things well, then I'm doing them for the glory of the Lord. Well, that's true. But ultimately, the purpose behind you doing anything in this world should be under the, I guess, within that hierarchy or underneath the tier of the Great Commission. So it's it's go therefore and make disciples, and then anything else you do in your life needs to be done with that in mind. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes hard to do because we get caught up in yeah. in the in our own you know desires and mm-hmm. wants and 
wants for success or wants for whatever we tend to compartmentalize yeah and missions just seems like this thing that's separate that's just really hard to do or evangelism Mm -hmm. is just this daunting task that I have to just check off my box and and if I just you know have that one really awkward conversation with someone about who Mm -hmm. Jesus is and and sputter out the gospel and then walk away then I can check it off my box and I'm good and that's Mm -hmm. just that's just not how we were meant to live and meant to be on mission at all Mm -hmm. that's not at all what it was supposed to be like and I don't know I think I think as just a growing generation and just people who a lot of us have jobs that we we I guess are at most of our life I mean I know most of the people in my peer group are working for the majority of their day or working for Mm -hmm. the majority of their week so the people they're around for the most of the time are their coworkers, and if your life in relationship with the Lord if you are a believer is separate from your workplace then that must be just a terrible experience being at work Mm -hmm. I can't imagine not being burnt out all the time I can't imagine like having you know very little joy I can't Mm -hmm. imagine having you know good relationships with coworkers because if you compartmentalize and separate the mission of your life from anything else that you do then it's not really the mission of your life Mm -hmm. you know and there's this necessity for it to be interwoven and um your faith should be in everything that you do oh yeah oh yeah and that that's just something that seems so daunting but it's also it's liberating I mean and it's not it's not hard it just starts with getting to know who Jesus is being in deep relationship with the Lord through the reading of a scripture and through praying and through being in community with other believers and recognizing what your gifts are and being able to use those gifts because you don't have to go halfway across the world just to share the gospel with someone um, or use your gifts but if you don't know what those gifts are then any time or any opportunity you have to I guess put them to use you're not going to to use them well if you don't know what they are so I don't know I think I think missions and discipleship kind of should be interwoven. Oh yeah, it all goes together. Yeah, it it's can. all it's more cyclical. We tend to look at things on a flat line. Oh yeah, but things move in circles a lot more because to disciple somebody, you make them an evangelist. Yeah. you have to evangelize to disciple yeah. and disciple to evangelize, exactly. and those things go back. And so and you use all those things in missions, no matter whether you're here or there yeah. or wherever. Yeah. And so all that works together. Well, going, going back to your time in Ghana, what, was, what were some of the most frustrating things, whether it be with the actual medical aspect or even faith-wise? Like what, what were some of the or things that caught you off guard or just... Frustrated, frustrated you, caught you off guard, changed your perspective. The culture of, of people over there is a lot different than here where 
there's a lot everyone's really laid back in Ghana Mm -hmm. and so there's this almost lack of urgency to get anything done because time is just it's not really important so (laughs) schedules don't exist in Ghana it's it's always just a suggestion (laughs) I feel like that's true of a lot of a lot of cultures a lot of cultures other than the United States um and from a medical perspective, that was so frustrating because there were many times when I would be in operating theater and we would be waiting for the doctors to show up because their shift, I guess, they were supposed to be there at 9, but they showed up at 10, or people just wouldn't get there in time, and so we'd have to clean everything, and um, or we'd have emergency cases, and an emergency over there is a lot different than emergency here because... People just don't have that urgency to get something done. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's because they don't have access to the resources. But I feel like there's also kind of a laziness like mm-hmm. interwoven with it. And there were plenty of times in the um, A&E or the emergency department where um, patients would come in and they would be victims of a car accident or some kind of traumatic brain injury. And they would just be passed off like you know, just looked over, oh, well, we'll just keep an eye on this person. Mm. Or they, they just need to rest. Yeah. And, like, obviously, yeah. <laughs> that is not going to help. Yeah. That's not going to do anything. But, you know, prolong their suffering and prolong whatever's going on to get worse to cause mm-hmm. them to not be able to get better. Yeah. And um, that was really tough. I mean, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I saw things that I didn't really expect to see and I um still kind of have scarred in my in my mind and getting to um talk to families about their infants who didn't make it Mm -hmm. or getting to um talk to children who one day you're talking to them and then the next day you show up for work and they passed away over the night and Mm -hmm. so it's there was a lot of loss and Mm -hmm. That, I think, was one of the hardest things for me to deal with in the sense of the people I worked with because all of the other students there were dealing with the same loss. They were there when the kid with cerebral palsy who had a respiratory rate of, you know, over 100 and he's not being treated or cared for at all and, and of course, he's not going to make it and... um or the, you know, the mom who delivered two stillborn twins that, mm. like, doesn't – it's just tough to deal with in general, but especially not knowing the Lord. And mm-hmm. the the students that I worked with who were on certain cases would come back to the house at the end of the day, and, and we would just eat our lunch and be in silence because we just yeah. couldn't – we couldn't – we couldn't wrap our mind around what we saw – um, because it was just so different and so, I guess, what's the word? Like, is it frustrating because it was preve- preventable? Preventable. Yeah, and, you see and really, something that you... It almost felt like, I mean, it just felt like a different time. Yeah. Like, we live in this age where we have access to so much and there's so much research going on and development. And then you have 
these people who are living like it's the 1950s Mm -hmm. and that's all that they've known and it breaks your heart because you want them to be on the same level Mm -hmm. you know technologically as you are but at the same time they don't act like they have a desire to be there so it's it's like they're just living in this I don't know purgatory of (laughs) old resources with old ways of doing things but it's just it's just so I can't it's it's hard to explain a a blissful ignorance to an extent except except they're suffering through that so but it's like a instead of confronting the problem yeah let's just continue in how we are exactly and and I think they all recognize that there is problem but the task of fixing that problem is way beyond any one person or even one institution Mm -hmm. um it is it's the curse of underdeveloped countries I mean certain parts of them will be developed but other parts if it's not all it's it's just being in a in a in an undeveloped nation just it's just it's Mm -hmm. nothing like you could experience or really explain Mm -hmm. um you really just have to witness it Mm -hmm. to be able to explain it I mean it's just fascinating in a in a really sad sense um but the, the thing is, I loved the people. I loved yeah. the people that were two hours late for work and who, <laughs> you know, sat around all day shooting the breeze, like, <laughs> when there was plenty of things to be done, you know. I remember the first day in the pharmacy, there was a stack of folders um, because they still use paper charts. And so a patient would have to bring their entire folder with all their medical records handwritten on these loose sheets of paper, and it was terrible. Oh, it was a nightmare. I mean, you're filing through just piece of paper all crumpled up and (laughs) ripped and handwriting you can't read about lab values and things and you're like I have no idea how anyone can correctly diagnose anything um but they do and that's what they do and there was a stack of these folders you know on the counter and the pharmacy is supposed to open at nine and it's 9 30 and there's two people in the pharmacy and they're kind of just talking about life and there's people (laughs) sitting waiting for people to fill their prescriptions and no one's doing anything um and it was just I it was just everything I had in me to not just like what what are you doing <laughs> confront the situation I had as I had to just sit back and and watch and I think I you know that was something that was said to us on our first day in orientation was the worst thing you can do is try to change what's going on here because Mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to. Yeah. And as much as you want to, you're not going to be able to. And it is frustrating. Mm-hmm. And there were students in our group that got visibly upset and yelled at physicians because mm-hmm. of the lack of, I guess, care and the lack yeah. of desire to care correctly. And these physicians know, and they know what they're doing, and they're smart. I mean, they go through the same medical training that doctors all over the world go through. And but they adjust their practice because they don't have the same resources. And I think they've told themselves that for so long that they've stopped, I don't mm. know. And it's worn on them. Stopped trying to change. Um, it just, it just is, I mean, I feel like I could talk for ages about what I mm. saw and who I spoke to and 
Well, in in light of your faith and seeing some of the things that you had to see, how how have you worked through healing from that and <laughs> reconciled through through some of those things? Because it's it's tough to see yeah. things like that and pain and suffering. And I I don't really think that I have. I think I got back to the states. I got back like on a Sunday night, in the middle of the night, had Monday off, and then started work back Tuesday. <laughs> so um, there was not really any time to process. But the entire time I was there, I was writing in a journal, and I definitely had my Bible with me, and would spend a lot of my downtime in prayer and just studying Scripture and just reading and trying to remain, I guess, hopeful. Um, I don't want to say that I feel desensitized to what I saw, but that is not as bad as it is in other places of the world. Mm -hmm. As bad as it was, there are places that are worse off. And I think it just reiterated in me just this, this brokenness, this idea that this whole world is so lost and so broken without Christ. And no matter what material possessions or what material you know, advances we have, if there's no hope, there's no hope. So mm-hmm. I see the same lack of hope in America as I do in countries where pe- patients are dying from simple infections. Mm-hmm. And what's shocking to me, I think, and what what gave me some peace was the fact that a lot of the people I met in Ghana had very little, but they were content with what they had, and they saw everything they had as such a blessing. Mm-hmm. And while the prosperity gospel was kind of prevalent in that area, there was so much joy. I never heard a single Ghanaian complain, complain about anything. Even the meanest ones. (laughs) There were some mean taxi drivers. I think they were just frustrated because I didn't speak Fonte very well. But I never heard a single one complain about anything. And I think processing through what I experienced, it was tough to see and witness so much. But at the same time, that goes on every day. I mean, after I left, the same thing was still going to happen. So, Mm -hmm. you know... It, it's not like it's a unique it, it's just it's just life there and it's just life in so many areas of our world and even in America people in poverty experience things we can't yeah. imagine mm-hmm. um, but this idea that there is hope in the midst of of that um, I think that is what gave me peace and knowing that there is an eternal hope that I have as a believer in Christ gave me a desire to share that hope with others yeah. as well. Um, because as I said earlier, I remember one particular conversation I had with someone who was on our team from Belgium and she, um, she was just so upset by what she had witnessed one day. And, and it just broke my heart because in my mind I'm thinking, I could not imagine having to witness and see this happen without having any hope at all, especially not eternal hope. Mm -hmm. And that was the only thing that provided any kind of consolation to me. So imagining that a lot of these people are going through the same 
sadness, the same frustrations without any eternal hope, it just, it broke my heart. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, is what really spurred me to have those conversations and not be afraid to have those conversations because there was just so much need for hope. So, yeah, my faith, I guess, was essential. Um, it really was in in allowing me to deal and to witness everything that I saw over there because without it, it would have been an exhausting experience. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to go back. Mm-hmm. But after experiencing everything, I still have my desire is even stronger now to go somewhere wherever (laughs) where there's no hope (laughs) which could be anywhere yeah to bring that hope because that's what we're called to do Mm -hmm. no matter where it is to be the light of the world Mm -hmm. so thank you for sharing about your experience I wish I could talk more (laughs) I I love telling stories from Ghana so many good stories and so many good friends well, maybe we'll have to have a part two someday. <laughs> <laughs> More on a lighter note, we can talk about funny things. Like yeah. <laughs> taxi drivers. And... But yeah, so your story is definitely a blessing to me. And for those of you listening, we hope that it has been for you as well. And uh, we uh, hope to talk to some more people about their missions, experiences, and uh, experiences just in ministry here in Columbia as well. Mm -hmm. And so uh, thank you for listening. This has been the First Community Podcast, and we'll see you next time.